Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. said that love or agape, which is divine love, which is governed by principle and not by sentimentality or by feeling, is to lead, to guide, to direct all the activity of our lives. It is also to gain control over our words, over our actions, and over our conduct. God's love, divine love, is to lead us, to guide us, to direct all the activity of our lives, to gain control over our words, our actions, our conduct. We went on to say that if the mind is not equipped with the knowledge of what love is and what love does, then our love can be misdirected and misguided. We have to be educated. Our minds must be renewed to what love does, how it acts, what it is. I want to inject one more thought here since this is Healing Sunday, and that is this fact concerning agape love. Divine love is the realm in which divine healing works, takes place. And if we do not live in that realm of divine love, then we can short-circuit the healing power of God. Sometimes we think if we don't receive a healing from above that we need to study the healing scriptures and the faith scriptures so that our faith can work and so that healing can flow. Well, that's partially true. We know that faith works by love and love is the motivating force behind faith. And therefore, it's important for us to first and foremost search our hearts to determine whether or not we are walking in the realm of love. If divine healing does not take place in our lives, I say first and foremost, go back to search your heart to determine whether or not you're walking the love walk. Because, you see, that's what short-circuits the power of God. When people walk in selfishness, self-centeredness, and God's divine love is not being manifested within that person's life, they short-circuit the power of God. Although the power is there, it cannot flow to accomplish the purpose of the Father's will in bringing deliverance and healing to the mind and to the physical body. So, you see, we're not getting off the subject of healing, are we? They all tie in together. So we are going to continue along these lines of divine love. Why? So that we can all search our hearts to determine whether or not we are truly walking in light of what God's love is and does, how it acts. And if not, then all we have to do is just say, Father, I'm sorry, I've not done that. But from this point on, I'm going to see to it that I apply myself to change. So that your love truly can manifest itself in and through my life. So that your power truly can flow. And so that your will can be accomplished in every area of my life. Shall we pray? Our Father, we give thanks to you for your holy written word. Knowing that we can trust our lives to its provisions. Knowing that you're watching over your word to perform and to make it good within our midst. We give thanks to you for the Holy Ghost to lead us, to guide us into all the truth. To unveil to our spirits the deep rich treasures of your word. For revelation, knowledge, and insight to flow within our innermost being. That we may walk as doers of your word and not hearers only. I personally thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost to boldly proclaim the truth of your word and demonstration of the spirit of power that our faith would stand not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, 
In Jesus' name, amen. First Corinthians chapter 13 is our text, verses 4 through 8. And in this particular chapter, Paul explains some things about divine love, agape love. Things that came to him by revelation. Things that love does and things that love does not do. A checklist, so to speak, so that we can check over the list and determine whether or not we're living up to what love does, how love acts, what love does not do. And before I continue once again, let me reemphasize this point. We're talking about perfection here. God's love is perfect. We are striving for perfection. We want to be made perfect in love. We are not to become discouraged or to lose heart just because we see some things in here that we're not living up to. The believer's life is progressive. We are constantly being changed from glory unto glory. It does not happen overnight. So if we see some things that we're not living up to, let's not become condemned or feel guilty before God. Let's just make a commitment, a deeper commitment, to walk in the light of those things. And let this be our testimony. Father, quicken me according to the word of truth. By your Spirit, change me from glory to glory, that I may be perfected in love. Let that be the testimony of our heart. Let that be our heart's confession before God. And His Spirit will oblige us. He'll move upon our hearts and make the necessary adjustments and changes that are needed. But remember, He needs the Word to work with. If we don't have the Word in our lives, He has nothing to work with. So that's why we have to study these things and give ourselves over to them. And another thought before we continue on is this. We can't take this lightly. You can't say, well, I'll study this for a while and then I'll just set it aside. This is something that we've got to study on a daily basis. It is, as the Lord told Joshua, what we should be meditating in by day and night. Because if one is perfected in love, one is perfected in the things of God. For God is love. And if we would look to the love walk by day and night, then we'll be changed from glory unto glory. And it will not be very long before spiritual growth and development will take place in every area of life. If we ignore or neglect these things and do not demonstrate deep interest in these things, then God's love will be there in us, but it will be just dormant, inert, inactive. It will be there, but we won't be walking in it. So, in other words, we want to follow after these things eagerly and pursue these things with diligence. As David said in Psalm 63, My soul followeth hard after thee. In other words, I want to apply myself with everything that I have so as to affect change in my life. That's what God wants us to do. So don't be condemned because we see some things that we're not living up to. Just make that decision to repent and say, Father God, now I'm giving myself to you, quicken thou me, according unto your holy word. Now from this text, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, first of all, we saw that... God's love or agape love is long-suffering and kind. And we said that 
The reason why it's long-suffering and kind is because it has a purpose in mind. And that is the eventual salvation of the person that he or she is dealing with. See, God was long-patient and kind in dealing with us. He chose not to look at all the unfavorable things that existed within our lives because He had an ultimate purpose, and that is to work out our salvation. Now, this does not mean that one does not act in justice in behalf of righteousness. It doesn't mean that because He is a just God also. What it means is that while He's acting in justice, He is kind in, so, in doing so. Being unkind is not going to get... Get him anywhere with us. Being unkind is not going to get us anywhere when it comes to moving us toward repentance. So we deal with people with kindness. We stand firm in righteousness. But love also, once again, does not give in to injustice or unrighteousness. But in dealing with injustice and unrighteousness, it is kind. Why? To work out the eventual salvation of the person. And that's why we should be kind in our relationships with people. We said also that love is not jealous. It is not jealous. And you see that there in the scripture. It is not covetousness. It is not covetous. It does not covet anything that anyone else has. Whether it be a believer or a non-believer, we do not covet the things of others. God makes His Son to rise and... And shine upon the just and the unjust alike. And he also sends the rain upon the just and the unjust alike. Thank God for everyone. Amen. For if it were not for the goodness and the mercies of God that rest upon all of his works, we'd all be consumed anyhow, right? So even the unjust is out there right now being blessed by God. Did you know that? Aren't you glad he kept you alive long enough to get saved? Hallelujah. Amen. So we have the same attitude. We don't covet what anyone has. At all. We are content with what we have. The Bible says we brought nothing into this world. We take nothing out of this world. Thank God we'll take every opportunity to be advanced in this world, but not through wrong means or, or improper practices. Thank God for what we have. I'm content in that and with that. And as we continue in Him, faithfully, He'll prosper us and bless us along the way. Amen? Amen. The next thing we said was that it doesn't brag or get puffed up. It doesn't exalt itself. And that means it doesn't seek the applause or the admiration of others. It doesn't going about looking to make a name for himself, to get everybody to like him through any kind of practice. It just does its work. Love does its work and then gets back into the background where it cannot be seen. The Bible says that if I'm going to do any glorying, I'm going to glory in the Lord. As far as my existence or my being in this realm of life, I'm going to give God all the glory for it. All my achievements, anything I ever do in life, I didn't do by my own power or strength. Anyhow, my soul shall make her boast of thee, Lord, and the humble shall hear thereof, and they will be glad. Thank God for who I am. Thank God for what He's done in my life. Thank God for the talents and the abilities He has placed within me. And thank God for the privilege and opportunity to develop those things to His glory and honor. So what I have, what I achieve, what I do in this life is not a result of who I am or what I have done. But it's because of who He is and what He has done. And so we make our boast of Him. Amen? Thank God. Give Him all the praise. Give Him all the glory. He shares His glory with no man. Now to continue our study. Love, or agape, does not behave itself indecently or unseemly. 
I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And for those of you who do not know, I provided somewhat of an outline on the back of your bulletin. That will give you a little bit of help to follow along. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7. I'll be reading from the Amplified Bible. But agape love, divine love, which is governed by principle, not by feelings or sentimentality, does not behave itself indecently or unseemly. In other words, it is not ill-mannered. It doesn't engage in indecent behavior or sexual abuse. It is not immoral in its conduct. It is not rude. It is not vulgar. It is not discourteous, insolent, coarse, disrespectful to others. It does not behave itself indecently. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7, Furthermore, he must have a good reputation and be well thought of by those outside the church, lest he become involved in slander and incur reproach and fall into the devil's trap. Notice the devil is snaring snares and traps for the people of God outside the church. That means where you work, what you do with the outside world is important before God. We can't be vulgar. We can't be disrespectful with people just because they're not saints or children of God, just because they're not our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Even though we have personal contact with them on an everyday basis, we are to treat them with loving kindness and with tender mercies. We're not to be vulgar. They're not to see us in wrongdoing. We're not to use vulgar language. I remember an individual when I first got saved and I worked down the mill who was also led to the Lord by those who were witnessing to him in the mill. And this individual, after one year, still never did anything about his vulgar language. And after one year's time, see, some people just need to be, I guess, taught. We'll leave it that way. I know for me it was something that happened instantly. Once I got saved, a lot of those things just passed away. Automatically just passed away. But this particular person... For some reason, he just didn't stop cussing and swearing and all that. Well, he's working with all these people, and what light do they see? He's trying to witness Jesus to these people, and what light do they see? He's looking at the pornographic material. He's cussing just like they are. What kind of a testimony is that? Oh, you need Jesus. What for? You're doing the same thing I'm doing. You don't seem to be any different than I am. But once again, this person just didn't know any better at the time. Just newly saved. But I thought in a year's time, surely someone should know by then that you just don't continue in those things. I know at the beginning you don't have to give up anything for Jesus. We know that. Just come to Jesus. And when you come to Jesus, the new life, the new nature that's inside your spirit will cause changes to take place in your life. But once again, after a year's time, this person should have set aside some of those things. But he didn't do it. And so in love, in the spirit of meekness, another brother and I went to this individual person and began to discuss it with him. And you know, he just looked at, looked at us in utter amazement. He was puzzled. He said, you know, I, I never thought of that. I said, I've worked in this mill all my life, over 30-some years. And it's, to me, it's just, it's just the way everybody talks around here. But I'm thankful to God that you've pointed that out. And you know, the moment that was pointed out, and the moment he changed his ways, his speaking, and the thing that he did around those other people, then the people saw a different light. They saw a new light. They saw a change in his life. They knew something was different about him 
they knew this person was a believer. And that's just a small example there, but there are other things. When you walk into the bank, when you walk into the grocery store, anywhere you go, you might as well just face it right now. You're going to have contact with people, and if you're not careful, the devil can get you caught in his trap. He'll set a snare for you. Just to get something to happen so that you can lose your testimony before people. And I'll be quite frank about it. When people see those who are supposedly to be believers doing wrong things, that's the first and foremost thing that sticks inside their mind. You try to come back and witness Jesus to them again, and the first thing that sticks in their mind is the thing that you did wrong. Ask a non-believer what a believer should be doing. They'll tell you. Ask a non-believer what a believer should not be doing, and they'll tell you. Right? And when they see you doing what is wrong, they know it. They take an account of it, write it down, put it in their heart and mind, and they know it. Well, yeah, that's the one that did this. See, that's why we've got to recognize and realize that we make our own reputation before men. Amen? This isn't just for leaders. As far as I'm concerned, if this was written, you say, that was written by, by the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Ghost to Timothy, who was a church leader. Well, you know what? Let me say it to you like this. If that's the case, every child of God should set their standards up high. Amen. Don't set your standards low saying, I'm just a lay person. It doesn't matter. It's required for all. It's the act of love. Every single one of us should want to put away all those things. You see, that would cause us to lose our testimony. So in dealing with those who are without, we're not disrespectful, discourteous, coarse, rude, vulgar, or anything. Now, once again, let's move on. Love doesn't look out for its own interest. You can follow there in 1 Corinthians. It's all there, chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. That's where we're taking it from. But to save some time, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And let's just take a moment to expound on this. God's love doesn't look out for its own interests. Now, remember... If you had a problem with the previous one there that maybe you're rude or vulgar or whatever in your dealings with people, you've got to do your best to rectify that. Even though you may be in the right, they may be in the wrong, in dealing you know, righteously with people, you still have got to be kind. You still have to be kind. How much more within the body of Christ we shouldn't scream and holler at one another. We should be kind one toward the other. Amen? Absolutely. Be kind, tenderhearted one toward the other. Love, agape love, divine love, does not look out for its own interests. And what it does is follows the principle love. Now, remember, agape implies love governed by principle. Well, what principle does it follow? This principle, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 24. Let not one then seek his own good. I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. An advantage and profit, but rather let him seek the welfare of his neighbor each one of the other. One does not, who walks in love, look out just for his own interests. Love is aggressive in pouring itself out to help meet the needs of others, to help promote others, to help uplift others. You see how this love is causing us to empty ourselves of self-centeredness and selfishness? And believe me, when we are perfected in love... Walking in this earth as the love of God, 
We'll not have any, have any concerns for ourselves. Our concerns will be towards those that are around us to meet their needs because our needs will be met in love. God's love being poured forth into our spirit will meet all of our needs. Our faith will work by that love and the things that we speak forth and say in faith, they'll materialize in this realm of life. So our concern is not for ourselves. See, I believe this totally. If we can get ourselves, our eyes off of ourselves and get our eyes on ministering to the needs of others, God then would make Himself real within our lives and our needs would be met. I believe that. Because, you see, it's selfishness and self-centeredness that blinds us and keeps us from receiving the revelation of truth. It short-circuits the power of God from our lives, in our lives, and we can't get anywhere in God. But when a person ceases to be self-centered and selfish and self-willed and always wanting to receive for self, begins to be concerned about others following this principle, then it just begins to flow. Everything begins to flow. Revelation knowledge comes, insight comes. Why? Because God is love. Healing begins to flow. God's power begins to flow. And the things that we need to have changed, they'll be changed because we're following the way of love. So what this person does is he shows the genuine interest and concern for others and he doesn't demand that things always be done his way or her way. You say, well, I'm a very demanding person. I've always demanded things be done the way I want them to be done. Well, then go before the Father and repent and get on your knees and, and say, Father, change me because I shouldn't be that way. Say, that's pretty bold. Well, it's just the Scripture. It's not what I'm telling you to do. It's just what the Bible says to do. And if you're going to get anywhere in God, you're going to have to you know, walk in love. And if we're going to walk in love, then we can't be that way, always demanding my own rights and always demanding my own ways and seeking out for myself and all that. Let's just get before the Father and say, Father, I don't want to be that way any longer. I just want to do what your Word says to do. I want to follow this principle, the principle of divine love. Help me to change. Help me to change. And you know what? He'll help you. I said He'll help you. Amen. He'll help you to change. He said, that can stop me from receiving my healing? Absolutely. 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 Without a doubt. Why? Because it's in the realm of love that healing flows. And we, when we are not even giving ourselves over to love, giving attention to divine love, and we just keep on with our walk in the Lord thinking everything is okay, yet God's power is not flowing, it's important that we go back and, and examine ourselves, examine what, love's, uh, what love does, what, what, what it does and does not do, and then allow it once again to begin flowing within our lives by giving ourselves over to it. Let's look, find another scripture here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, not too far, and it's pertaining to this also. You know that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You know then that love is aggressive and pouring itself out once again to meet the needs of others. It wasn't responding. Love wasn't responding to man's love being poured out to God. It was just aggressive and going forth in loving those who were hating. So we see then that God's love is a whole lot different than human love. It's not responsive, but it's aggressive. We can see that right here in this portion of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 22 and 23. This concern that we have because of love is love's strongest motivating forces. And make note of that in your heart and mind. This concern that we have looking out after the interest of others is love's strongest motivating forces. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son because He was motivated by love to meet their needs. 
Jesus came and said, No greater love has a man than this, that a man should lay down his life for his friends. He was motivated by love. The strongest motivating force of love is this deep interest and concern for the welfare and the well-being of others. See, are we just concerned about us four no more? The whole family and that's it? Or are we truly concerned about how others are doing in God? Are we truly concerned about their spiritual condition? Well, if we're not, then God will change us. If we'll ask Him. Amen? I said He'll change us if we ask Him. You see how easy it is to love our own family members? These are mine. We love them. Thank God for them. But you see, when it comes to others, are we really that interested? Oh, we give them maybe a part of our lives, but how much do we really give? How deeply are we concerned about the fact that that person is going to hell and destruction? Good question, huh? Have you asked yourself that question lately? How much does it really concern me that others are not going to make it? Are we concerned enough to be motivated to reach out to them? We should be. 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23. Paul the Apostle had this love in his heart. He was concerned about other people. He was concerned about their well-being. It moved him to preach the gospel everywhere he went. It also moved him to do something else. Let's read it. To the weak, I'm reading from the Amplified Bible, or the wanting in discernment, I've become weak. Wanting in discernment. That I might win the weak and overscrupulous. I have, in short, become all things to all men. That I might by all means, at all costs, and in any and every way, save some by winning them to faith in Jesus Christ. And I do this for the sake of the good news, the gospel, in order that I may become a participator in it and share in its blessings along with you. And one of the most staggering, outstanding statements that the Apostle Paul ever made was found in Romans chapter 9. This love was so strong in him. You read the first few verses. It said, he said, I would rather be accursed from Christ if it be possible just to save my fellow brethren, the Israelites. What a statement. What an absolutely staggering statement. This man could have so much of the love of God manifested within him, his concern was so, I mean, beyond himself, so much toward other people, he says, I'd rather, I'd be a curse in Christ. I'd give up my own salvation if I thought it would save all of Israel. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Staggering, isn't it? He became all things to all men so as to win some. He knew he wouldn't win them all, but just some. He wasn't concerned about himself. He was concerned about others. Well, you say, that's certainly not me. I'm just too self-centered for that kind of attitude to maintain. Well, God will forgive you. Get on your knees and repent. And say, Father God, forgive me for not being like this because I should be. And if I were following agape love like I should be, then my life would be based on that principle. 
And that person that's so hard to get along with, don't be concerned about these petty outward appearance things. Be concerned about eternal things because you have heaven as your home. And if that person is not saved and does not know Jesus as Savior and Lord, I tell you, you've got it made and the other person just doesn't. Isn't that so? So you see, that's what alters our actions, our attitudes. It changes the way we behave in front of other people. We don't go to the point that we've got to have, we've got to have, we've got to have, I'm concerned about me. We look beyond all their faults and flaws and failures and human frailties, attitudes and everything else, becoming all things to all men so as to win some. And he says, I do this for the gospel's sake, to be a participator in the blessings thereof. Good attitude, Apostle Paul. Next, love does not become provoked. Love is not easily provoked. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26. This means that God's love, agape, does not go around looking for an occasion or for an excuse for provocation. doesn't have a chip on its shoulder going around looking for a fight. It is not moved or motivated by outbursts of anger. But it follows the principle of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26. Remember now, agape is based on principle. Not feeling, not sentimentality. Anger is an emotion. We don't need to be motivated by it, moved by it, controlled by it. Although we become angry at times although we are, can be yielded to, at times, outbursts of anger, it is not the principle upon which we base our lives. And if we are overcome by anger, then it's time that we do something about that. It's time that we respond to agape love to what the Word says here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, which is the principle to follow. And ask the Spirit of God to change us and quicken us according to this Word. What is it? Verse 26, Amplified Bible. When angry, do not sin. See, it doesn't say we don't get angry. We get angry. We may be provoked. I mean, the guy gave you the wrong set of tires for your car. You paid twice as much as you should have paid. Took all your money. And you got provoked. Rightfully so. And you're not going to let him get away with it because love does not rejoice at injustice or unrighteousness, does it? But are we going to be given over to anger to such a degree that we sin by that anger? That's the question. And if we are easily provoked and given over to an angry spirit, make note of it. A spirit of anger then can control that person's life and will overtake that person's life short-circuit the power of God and prevent that person receiving what he or she needs from God through divine means. So once again, we see a snare of the devil, a trap to entrap us into anger, being outraged to the point that we act improperly before men. And here it says, when angry, do not sin. Do not ever let your wrath 
your exasperation, your fury, your indignation lasts until the sun goes down. Two things here. Don't sin in anger. And then if the anger remains throughout the course of the day and you've not done anything to rectify it, make sure you immediately get the thing resolved before the sun goes down. I remember one preacher saying that he had a dispute with his wife during the day. He had to leave then to go at a distance to take care of matters. He had to go preach somewhere. And it just kept prying at him all day long. He knew that he and his wife had harsh words before he left. It was getting later in the day and later in the day and later in the day and later in the day. And he started to see the sun was about to go down. When all of a sudden, on the inside of his spirit, this scripture rose up. Be angry, but sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. It amazes me when I see people holding aught in their heart weeks at a time. It amazes me when I hear people say, I've been bitter towards this person for the last two years. Not, I'm not amazed that it happens. I mean, I know that it happens. It amazes me that people don't realize or recognize the effect that has upon their own spirituality and upon their own life. I wouldn't want to be caught in a position that I cannot receive from God. Would you? When you begin to live your life by divine means and divine methods, believing that God is your total source of supply... Well, you want His power supply to be available to you at every opportunity. You don't want to find yourself in a position that you try to pray the prayer of faith and because of bitterness springing up inside the heart, you're defiled. You short-circuit God's power. His power cannot flow. And that's why needs are not met. That's why people don't receive healing like they should and deliverance like they should. Because, you see, they're not following after the agape love of God with great intensity, eagerly. You say, but you just don't know me. I'm the kind of person that when someone makes me mad, I pout for a week. God will forgive you. Ask Him to forgive you. Get on your knees today and say, Father, I don't want to be that way any longer. Don't do it because I said it. This is a principle upon which we build our lives. This is what agape does. But you know, I still have those feelings. Good point. We don't live by feelings. Those feelings do not rule our lives. We're not moved by feelings or sentimentality. Listen, you, you can forgive that person by faith. You say, but this, the feelings still linger on. That's okay. Keep speaking the word. Eventually, the feelings will align themselves with the word. And you're really not having aught in your heart against that person for a week. You're just warring with your feelings for a week. You forgive him on Monday. And if you still have those feelings on Tuesday, you rise up and say, Thank God I'm not moved by feelings. I forgave that person yesterday. Thank God I'm in good position with God. I'm in good standing with God. Hallelujah. doesn't matter how I feel. You might go to work the next day and see that person right there. And you say, Hallelujah. Glory to God. I'm not holding any aught in my heart. I'm not bitter towards any person. And you might feel ugly. Feelings can be ugly sometimes, can't they? But you see, you're not really moved by that. And it doesn't mean that you haven't forgiven that person. You just learned, who, learned how to, by faith, forgive that person. And eventually, by Wednesday or Thursday, your feelings will line up with your faith, with what you're saying. The reality of it all will come. And you know what? 
You'll face that person eyeball to eyeball, and you'll have purity in your heart. No ill will or ill feeling or anything like that. Amen. That's how God wants us to be. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Don't go to bed angry. Now, I don't know. You might want to call him up at 1 o'clock in the morning and wake him up and get it all settled, but I wouldn't advise that either. But you understand the principle here. Just don't go to bed angry. Get it resolved. Get it taken care of. Amen? You know, there are different temperaments. Do you know that? Here's one person on this hand right over here. This person right here. He can get just, I mean, just ugly angry. Did you ever see somebody just get ugly angry? They just get ugly angry. And five minutes later, oh, forget it. Just like that. The other person will go on for a week over the same issue. Go on for a week. Here's this person walking around with no problems and anything else. And this one over here is pulling the hair out. For a whole week. Why? We have different temperaments. And it is important that we, and you can't do it for me and I can't do it for you, yield ourselves to the love of God. If we're that kind of a person, then we must get before God and say, change me by the power of your spirit and your word. I don't want to be that way. How does it happen? You begin doing it on a day-by-day basis. And when you find yourself tempted, tempted to hold a grudge against somebody, before that day goes by, before the sun comes down and sets, you make sure that you did something to see to it that that situation is resolved. You do what is necessary in your power to do, and God takes care of the rest. If the person doesn't want to forgive, if the person doesn't want to have any kind of relationship or fellowship, that's okay. It's then not on your part. See, the Bible says, and we'll get to this a little bit later here, but the Bible says that we are to live at peace as much as it is possible with all men. And what that means is this. As long as it's on our part, as long as I have something to do with it, I'll live at peace with all men. But when it's on their part, when it's up to them as to whether or not we live in peace, I have no control over that person's will. But if it's up to me, I'm going to see to it that we have peace. Even if it means that I lose out on some things, I'm going to see to it that we have peace. That's just the way I'm going to live my life. And once again, are we beside ourselves because we do this? Are we being taken advantage of because we do this? I'll tell you what. I like to have somebody think he's taking advantage of me just like they thought they were taking advantage of Jesus and rise up victorious. How about you? Did Jesus fail? No. Did they think that they had the edge over him? Oh, they thought they did. But he rose victorious. And that's how we live our lives. So love does not become provoked. Love is not given to anger. But before the sun goes down, agape love makes sure it takes care of business. Next one. Love, or agape, does not keep an account of injury. Now, this goes hand in hand, and you'll find out how these things relate to one another. Agape love, divine love, does not keep an account of the injury. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12, if you would, please. Romans chapter 12. You know, there's more than one love chapter in the Bible. Did you know that? Romans chapter 12 also is, or can be considered to be a chapter of love. Because it talks about the love of God being without dissimulation, or without hypocrisy, or being sincere. What this means, that love takes no account of the evil done to it, or it does not keep an account of the injury. When that person wronged you, you don't go home that night, or that day, or whatever it happened, 
and get out your logbook, get out your diary, and start writing in it. So-and-so did this to me, get even. Vengeance is mine, saith me. I'll take care of business tomorrow. I remember another man of God who said that when he was young, he couldn't get around like other children. And he said, so what they did was, you know, children can be active. Good word. They can be a lot of other things, too. And these were. And they used to always pick on him. Always call him names. Always push him down because he couldn't do anything. Couldn't defend himself and protect himself. So what this fellow did was he went home and put it on the books of account. Wrote it down. So-and-so did this to me. Knocked me in the head. Then took off because he knew I couldn't run. So this fellow said, I had a way of taking care of myself. I couldn't defend myself when I was there because I was too weak. So when so-and-so was walking home from school the next day, I said, I was just hiding in the corner over there with a, with a baseball bat or a two-by-four in my, in my hand. And he meant every word of it. Hid that thing behind him. See, when you're picked on like that time and time again, every day, every day, every day, every day, every day, you get provoked. And this person wasn't a Christian at the time. And so he just stood there hiding with a baseball bat. And when the fellow walked by, he knocked him right in the head, knocked him out. And he said, he said it just like this. He says, if he didn't die, it wasn't my fault. That's what he said. Now, that's taking account. Wouldn't you say that's taking account? He said his brother used to provoke him, do things like that. And what he would do when his brother did this, you see, his brother knew he couldn't run. So he figured he can get away with it. He said, well, then I would just wait till my brother came home. He didn't know where I was hiding in the house with a brick in my hand. That's what he did. I'm just telling you what he did. He said, I had my way of getting even. Make note of this. Love doesn't do that. Genuine agape love does not do that. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It's not ours. It doesn't belong to us. You see, we can develop a vengeful spirit, and God doesn't want that. These are snares also of the devil intended to do what? To short-circuit the power of God in our lives. To prevent us from experiencing God's best. These are reasons why the divine flow of power is stopped, halted, short-circuited in many cases, and people do not receive the, full, the, the, the fullness of the blessings of Christ. Here in, in Romans chapter 12, we have this outlined for us. But make note of it. It doesn't have a get-even attitude. It does not have a vengeful spirit. It doesn't keep a record of the evil that's done. With the idea that I'll get even with you at a later date. So here we see that love is sincere in verse 9. I'm reading from the Amplified Bible once again. Let your love be sincere. Let it be a real thing. Hate what is evil. Loathe all ungodliness. Turn in horror from wickedness. But hold fast to that which is good. Love one another with brotherly affection as members of one family giving precedence and showing honor to one another. Never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor. Be aglow and burning with the Spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice and exult in hope. Be steadfast and patient in suffering and tribulation. Be constant in prayer. 
contribute to the needs of God's people, sharing in the necessities of the saints, pursuing the practice of hospitality. Did you get that? Pursuing the practice of hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. That makes no sense. Bless those who persecute you. Speak well of those who are speaking evil of you, in other words. Those who are cruel in their attitude towards you, bless them and do not curse them. Here we see a distinction or a difference between phileo love and agape love. Phileo love is responsive. And if one does evil to me, I'll get even and do evil to that person. Or I'll just stay away from that person, ignore that person, and cut off all relationships with that person. But love says, agape says, I'll speak well of that person, not evil of that person. Even though they're cruel and their attitude toward me, this is how I choose to live my life. You may think I'm beside myself, but I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I will not lose my testimony. I'll not be entrapped by the snare of the devil. I'll not short-circuit the power of God in my life. I'm doing this because of my personal relationship with God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Ghost and Holy Written Word. And I'm not going to allow others to do something or do that which is going to short-circuit that power of God in my life and keep it from flowing. Because I utterly depend on it for my survival. Do you see what's most important, my beloved brother and sister? That's why situations where people persecute us, where they speak evil of us, are not worth getting into or getting involved in. Whether it be in a vengeful way or in this other, that you just disassociate totally with people. It goes on and says, share others' joy. That would be beautiful. It should be represented within the body of Christ. Share others' joy. Rejoice with those who rejoice, in other words. Thank God for their blessings. Rejoicing with those who rejoice and share others' grief. Weeping with those who weep. There's a time to just come forth and give just what the Word says about situations. But when there is a person who is genuinely weeping because of certain sorrows or matters, don't be cold, but be tenderhearted. Focus in on what that person is doing and suffering. Become acquainted with it. Through prayer then, God will make an avenue or a way for the Word to be injected and deliverance to come. But don't start out with, you shouldn't do this and shouldn't do that because you're supposed to be the word of faith, man or woman. See, that could be cold. Love the person. And then slowly give the word. Realizing that people are also people of emotions. Amen? Amen. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, snobbish, high-minded, exclusive, but readily adjust yourself to people, things, and give yourself to humble tasks. Never overestimate yourself or be wise in your own conceits. Repay no one evil for evil. Now, here it is. But take thought for what is honest and proper and noble, aiming to be above reproach in the sight of everyone. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave the way open for God's wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, requite, says the Lord. Uh Uh-oh. Well, I wouldn't want that hanging over me, would you? 
And this is what it says to do. But if your enemy is hungry... See, feeling and sentiment will not do this. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy, the one he's talking about is the one who persecutes you, the one who speaks evil of you, the one who does evil to you, if he is thirsty, give him drink. Notice. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. So do not let yourself be overcome by evil, but overcome, now listen to this next word, master evil with good. When the devil began doing his evil works, Jesus began going about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Good will always overcome evil. Depend, in other words, upon God for vengeance. His wrath then will be poured out upon people. Judgment will be produced. Their hearts will be dealt with by the power of God. Once again, this does not mean that we just walk around and let everybody walk all over us and do what they want to do. We just learn how to tap into a higher power. We don't fight our own battles. We fight our battles with the power of the living God. That's an important truth. It's not as though we're turning our back. We're standing up for righteousness, but we're doing it with goodness and loving kindness. And then the judgment of God can fall upon people who continue in rebellion. But just like Jonah... And the people of Nineveh, Jonah knew that if he went and told them about the wrath and the judgment of God that they were under, that they would repent. He shouldn't have been upset about that, even though they did evil things, even though they were wicked in their ways. He should have immediately gone to them, recognizing that God stands for a whole lot more than what he believed, than he recognized, than what he knew himself. Hell is such a horrible, awful, tormenting place that even God Himself, in spite of all that they did that was evil, was willing to spare their lives if they would only repent. God is always looking to the end result. He is always looking out for the eternal welfare of people, the eternal well-being of people. So we don't want to, to ruin our own testimony. We want to fight with the power of God. We want vengeance to be the Lord's. And you'll find out, and I've seen this happen in my own life in, in many different, on many different occasions, in many different ways, where instead of responding in a negative, vengeful way, just allowing the love of God to flow, and then the love of God overcame. The power of God overcame. And so it's important that we understand this principle and then build our lives upon it. No, it's not going to happen overnight. We make a decision overnight. Make a decision right now, see, and when we make that decision, if, if we'll just keep on continuing in it, then we'll change. And as we change, praise God, from glory to glory, God's power is more active within our lives. Another one, and this ties in with the other. Love doesn't rejoice over unrighteousness or injustice, but it rejoices when right and truth prevail. And... To explain that, let's look at Galatians chapter 2. See, these are all related, interrelated, one with the other. 
It doesn't mean we don't stand up in a firm position for what is right. We stand. We take a firm stand. We establish ourselves in righteousness. Now, this is another force of the recreated human spirit that's going to enable us to achieve God's highest and best. Righteousness. And we'll talk about that in the not-too-distant future. Love. Righteousness. Righteousness is also there. It's also there in love. Everything is in love. But we have to realize and recognize that love does not rejoice when injustice and righteousness is done. But it doesn't overcome it with a vengeful spirit, is what's being said. It takes a firm position. It takes an established stand against ungodliness, unrighteousness, and evil. But it employs the powers of heaven. Let's see it here. Here's an example. Galatians chapter 2. Beginning at verse 11. Now make note of it. Agape rejoices with the truth. It sides with what is right. It is no respecter of persons. Verse 11. But when Cephas or Peter came to Antioch, from the Amplified I'm reading, I protested and opposed him to his face. Why would you do that, Brother Paul? It was because of his conduct there. For he was blamable and stood condemned. For up to, to, to the time that certain persons, persons came from James, he ate his meals with the Gentile converts. But when the men from Jerusalem arrived, he withdrew and held himself aloof from the Gentiles and ate separately for fear of those of the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews along with him also concealed their true convictions and acted insincerely, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy, that is, by their example of insincerity and pretense. But as soon as I saw that they were not straightforward and were not living up to the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, or Peter, before everybody present, if you, though born a Jew, can live as you have been living like a Gentile and not as a Jew, how do you dare now to urge and practically force the Gentiles to comply with the ritual of Judaism and live like Jews? Now that sounds like Paul was firm, doesn't it? And that Peter, the saint of God that he was, the apostle that he was, was to be blamed. Why? He allowed his feelings, he allowed his sentiment to move him to wrongdoing. He had respect of persons, respected first and foremost the attitudes of these who were from Jerusalem and began to back off from those who were converted Gentiles. And he was leaving a wrong impression before the people. And Paul said, what you're doing is absolutely wrong. God's love believes in truth and righteousness. Whether it be believers, non-believers alike. We're not going to back off or back away from what is to be the truth and side in with a lie. But the way we present ourselves is what's important. We stand for righteousness' sake. We stand for justice' sake. But we do so with integrity, we do so in love, we do so with long-suffering and loving-kindness, but in firmness we get our point across. 
and we see to it that righteousness and truth prevail. We stand up for what is right. We take a firm stand. We establish ourselves in our hearts. We fix the position of our minds and say, this is truth. And even though, brother so-and-so, I love you with sentimentality, with human affection, I must still regard and hold in high esteem the Scriptures above my feelings for you. I know the truth. I must side with the truth. Remember when we started this study? I talked about fallen members, fallen leaders. Through sentiment, sentimentality, people will say, sure, let him minister again. That is ignoring principle. Agape is governed by principle and there is no respect to persons. Are you saying never? I didn't say never. I said if it took them time to establish themselves in a work when they had no flaws in their character, no flaws in their morals, then it also must take them time once again to be reapproved, not only before God, but also before men. And they must, in a humble spirit, submit themselves over to the teaching of the Word. And once rehabilitation takes place, once they have proven themselves to be above reproach, as the Scriptures teach, then, when they're found to be blameless once again, without fault, walking righteous, holy, godly, before a living God, a just God, then let them be reinstated. And beloved, that's principle. I can't walk up to you and just say, well, but, but I love you so much. That's sentimentality. It's based on principle. We stand for righteousness. We stand for truth. I wish we can get through the rest of this, but we're not going to be able to, so... Let me just conclude this morning's message by saying that if we find that we are lacking in any of these areas, all God requires is, of us is a decision. Just a decision. Will not be perfected overnight. We are to be eagerly pursuing the agape of God, the love of God, to walk in the light of it. We can still activate the power of God to deliver, to heal us by making just a decision. Father, I see that I have not followed the way of love. Forgive me for not following the way of love. I make a decision today to see to it that I begin to eagerly pursue what love does, what love does not do. That I am not moved or motivated by feelings and sentimentality. But my life is governed by the principles of the Word of God. And that is what true love is all about. Praise God. Can you say amen? And God will forgive. The power of God will flow. But then again, the work begins. We have to labor in the Word once again. We must labor in the Word to get a renewed mind and a directed spirit. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to our Legacy Teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you 
as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.